The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Yeah, don't it sound so epic? Horns are screaming, I ain't the one you want to mess with. Use a joke, I ain't the one you want to jest with. The battle's coming, you only got a few seconds to run. Yeah. All right, I am Matt Minnick, and this is Chalk Talk here on Cincy Jungle. Today, I've got a great guest. Uh, we have just finished up the NFL Combine. We've got all these data points. We've got all these this, this new information uh, on prospects. Uh, so how do, we, how do we digest everything? Uh, how do we f- figure out what it means to their play in the field, and I've got the perfect guest to talk about that. Uh, the creator of the Relative Athletic Score, uh, and uh, he's got a website, relativeathleticscores.com, Kent Lee Platty. Kent, how are you doing today? Fantastic, man. Thanks for having me on. All right. So you have probably seen him on Twitter. Uh, it's at MathBomb, right? Yes, sir. All right. So uh, you've probably seen him posting uh, all of his RAS scores, the relative uh, athletic scores. Uh, you know, how long have you been doing it for? As long as I can remember. <laughs> uh, I actually started I started with the idea in 2012 and I started creating the system in 2013. Uh, the current iteration that it is, I, I haven't changed the calculations at all since 2017. I don't, I don't foresee that being a thing. So uh, I'm going to my eighth year of, of actually doing covering all this stuff and the third year of the current uh, situation for the scores. Awesome. Awesome. And, and I am a company man, so I would be remiss not to mention, uh, that Kent also writes for pride of Detroit, which is SB nation's lions page. Uh, so Kent, tell me, uh, what is Raz and, uh, how exactly does it work? So I created Raz, like I said, back in 2013 to try to put a, a simple number on player athleticism because we, we go to the combine and they talk about guys that are athletic, guys that are unathletic, but there's no real context behind that. Uh, so I tried to put every player's measurement on a 0 to 10 scale because uh, 0 to 10 is easy to understand. 0 is bad, 10 is good. It's, it's real simple. Mm-hmm. Um, so I tried to put every single measurement that I could on that 0 to 10 scale. Those averages are then taken together and made into uh, put into a database, and then the averages are put on a 0 to 10 scale, and that gets you the final RAS for a player. Uh, it goes all the way back to 1987, and the score is compiled from 1987 until whatever year the player is drafted. So we're at, what, 34 years of data for the 2020 class right now? Oh, wow. 
Yeah, geez, that's yeah, that's going uh, going a long ways back. So how uh, you know how is uh, how is it predictive of uh, future success? If I could talk to that, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, so it, it depends on the position. Every position is a little bit different, and it's it's hard in the NFL because some positions have like sub positions. You know, it's not just cornerback. You also have nickels. You know, you have the boundary corners. Um, running backs, you have power backs, you have speed backs. So it's a little bit different once you start getting a little granular. But again, the idea was to create something that was simple, something that you can look at from an overall perspective. Uh, and it's been relatively predictive. Uh, looking at wide receivers, for instance, if you look at wide receivers that that got a score, so they had to, had to actually qualify for a score, and then go on to have at least one 1,000-yard season, it ended up being about 130 players, a little bit less than that. And of those, 68 of them had an eight or higher. So better than half had a top 20% athleticism score for, for receivers that would go on to have a 1,000-yard receiving season. So it's relatively predictive for, for things like that. It's better at predicting guys that won't do well. I know that's not fun to talk about, the guys that don't <laughs> do well. Um, but it's a lot better at finding the guys that are, are simply too limited to find their way into the NFL um, but surely when you're looking at an athlete that does well in college, you want them to have an elite athletic profile. And thankfully, most of the best players just tend to measure that way. All right. Well, that brings up a, a very important point for Bengals fans. So two of the biggest newsmakers at the Combine this year, uh, certainly physically, uh, were offensive linemen Tristan Wirth and uh, Mackay Becton. Uh, you know, both really put on a show. Um, you know. We already knew going into the combine that they were not going to be, uh, you know, likely. Uh, well, they're definitely not going to be heading to Cincinnati. Uh, I think everybody knows who the Bengals are taking. Uh, and by the time pick 33 comes around, uh, those guys are definitely going to be gone. However, uh, the Bengals really have two first round picks because uh, 2019 first round pick Jonah Williams uh, missed all of his rookie season. Uh, Williams did not have the type of showing at the combine that Worfson Becton had. Uh, and when you look at his RAS numbers and, and how they stack up to those two, uh, it is it is not something that uh, helps you sleep at night as a Bengals fan who is hoping that uh, Jonah Williams will come in and, and solidify this offensive line. Uh, so can you talk a little bit about uh, Williams, how he stacks up to, to Wirfs and, and Becton and, and what that might mean for the team? Yeah, as you mentioned, Jonah Williams didn't put up the greatest score. He had a 5.5 out of 10, just about average. Uh, he had below average agility scores, just barely average explosion scores. He ran a good 40 and had a good 10-yard split. So there's some positives, not all negatives. Um, but he was about average for size, a little bit below average for what you want to tackle size to be. So his athleticism was not that great. Um, I'm not going to speak to his tape. I mean, we're here to talk metrics. You guys can you guys can look at his tape and decide whether or not you think that that, that really is indicative of who he is as a player. Uh, but you compare that to guys like Tristan Wirfs. And Tristan Wirfs put up the best explosion numbers we've ever seen by an offensive tackle at the Combine, possibly the best even at pro days. Um, his lowest explosion score was 99.6th percentile for an offensive tackle, um, which is pretty good. Um, yeah. He At 6'4", 320, he's, he's pretty prototypical side, a little shorter than what most people want at tackle. But for a tackle, it's more about length. He had a 34-inch arms. Uh, Jonah Williams had a 33 and I think 5'8 uh, arm length, which is perfectly acceptable. That's that's fine. That's good. That's That's just about 34 inches, so that's fine. He has that length. 
Um, but he didn't have that elite explosion. He didn't have that great agility that somebody like Werfs did. And he doesn't have that insane size that Mikai Becton did. Mikai Becton came in at 6'7 and 3 and 364 pounds. And he ran almost the same 40 that Jonah Williams did at 302. So about 60 pounds heavier ran almost exactly the same speed. And that yeah. specific stat is not a knock on Williams because Williams ran a really good 40. It's just Mikai Becton's a stupid good athlete. Yeah, really, with Williams, yeah, the the straight line speed stuff was was fine, uh, but yeah, the his, his shuttle, his his three cone, not good. Uh, you know, his vertical was was okay, uh, but nothing great. I mean, I I know a, a long time ago, I I heard uh, Art Kehoe talk. Art Art Kehoe was the offensive line coach for many years at the University of Miami back when back when it was the U. Um, and, and you know they were pro- producing uh, some really good NFL linemen every year, uh, and and this this one kind of threw me off guard. But one of the first things he said was that the most important testing number for offensive line is the vertical jump, because uh, that's an explosive strength. And you know, like guys that can vertical jump, they can get back in their kick step. So um, definitely concerning uh, about Williams, and and you know, definitely something that you could see would project and be more important than. Uh, a 40 yard dash for an offensive lineman who, you know, outside of screen plays shouldn't really be doing that very much. So, um, so what, you know, for, for you personally, seeing somebody who's coming in with average scores, um, you know, let alone being that, that he was, he was uh, picked 11th overall. Is that something that, that you think is a, is that a bust alert? Is that something that, that we should really, you know, fly the red flag about? I wouldn't say that it's a bust alert. You generally want to be more cautious about players like that. Um, looking at Pro Bowl offensive tackles that, again, qualified for Raz, we had 40, 47 offensive tackles since 1987 that qualified for Raz. Uh, of those guys, only four of them were below average, and only two were in the same range that Jonah Williams is. So that's not great. Uh, one of them was from 1996, the other from 2012, Kalechi Assembly, who actually I think might have made it as a guard. I don't remember if he made that as a tackle. Um, but it's it's not good company to be in from an athletic perspective. Uh, the good thing to remember is that there's still tape. You know, this isn't it isn't a be all end all. Anytime you look at metrics, you always want to use it as a supplemental. It's a piece of the puzzle, something that helps you evaluate a player as a whole, but not as the whole. It's not the only thing that you look at. Um, so when you're looking at somebody's athletic testing, you want to see if it's matching up with what you see on tape. Uh, you mentioned that an offensive lineman doesn't run 40 yards downfield, except maybe on screenplays. And that's totally true. Um, but one of the things that the 40 yard dash does for larger players is it gives evaluators an opportunity to see the type of athletic ability that a guy has to explode out of his stance, to accelerate up to a top speed and to maintain that speed over a distance. That's, Excuse me. That's not just available or valuable when you're doing screenplays. That's something that's helpful when you're trying to to pull from one side of the line to the other. When you're trying to do power runs up the middle and you're able to break through the line and get ahead of your offensive line or your offensive line and start getting to that second level, you know, there's there's pieces where that translates. Uh, you mentioned well, the vertical jump. Yeah. yeah. You know, and and you know, with the with the wide zone plays as they're getting on a path, working up to the next level, uh, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I think with, with Williams, I, I tend to lean on my coaching background a little bit too much, and, and I, I will overvalue players who are very well coached and very strong technicians sometimes. 
so Williams was my uh, number one offensive tackle last year. Uh, and, and, you know, that's probably a big part of the reason why. But I would also think the fact that he has those qualities to him, that he is well coached, he is a great technician, um, you know, was certainly help to uh, to overcome any any lackings that he has uh, from a physical standpoint. Um, now, a couple of guys that aren't getting as much talk uh, or at least weren't coming into the dra- uh, to the combine, excuse me, uh, who don't have the same physical limitations uh, are uh, Ezra Cleveland from Boise State and Matthew Pert from UConn. Uh, Pert's a guy, I, I actually like his film quite a bit too. Um, I've been on him for a while. Uh, Ezra Cleveland, he's a guy that I need to go back and watch more film because he was not, uh, not. I mean, after my initial film review, he was not somebody that was really on my radar uh, as a, you know, as a potential uh, prospect. Uh, what, uh, you know, what can you say about how uh, Cleveland and uh, Pert performed at the Combine? Yeah, and you're probably looking at day two picks for both of these guys. Ezra Cleveland was talked about as a possible sneak into the first round before the combine, and his athleticism was was a reason that was used for that. Um, and he kind of overperformed, I think, what people expected to do. Uh, he ended up getting a 9.94 out of 10 for his RAS score. Um, that's a great overall grade. Uh, a 311-pound dude runs a 4.93. That's nuts. Uh, he put up elite explosion numbers, elite agility numbers, Uh, You mentioned the vertical jump as being one of the more important drills for an offensive lineman. That tends to be for power power runners, for for schemes that value power, Uh, for schemes that value agility or teams that are more multiple in the type of fronts that they use tend to look at the short shuttle. Um, You you want a guy that's in the 4-4 range. Ezra Cleveland ran a 4.46. That's great. That's awesome. It's a very predictive metric for offensive linemen to use the short shuttle. Uh, so on top of having a great overall athletic profile, he had an elite score and one of the more important metrics. Now, Matt Pert had a 9.03 out of 10, which is also really, really good. Uh, but he didn't put up that good a time in his agility drills. He had a 4.92 for his shuttle, which is pretty poor, and an 8.01 for his cone drill, which is also pretty poor. So it's maybe looking at a different type of style of play with each of these two guys. Uh, but they're definitely guys to watch. You, you want a profile that looks very similar, if not very close to that. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey. Instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Yeah, the uh, the agilities really seem to be a, a big separator this year. Um, and, and, and I don't, I mean, obviously you, you study this uh, at, at a very high level uh, and I'm, 
you know, my my knowledge of it from the past is just kind of my my casual recollection of of your work, basically. Uh, <laughs> but but it seems like there were a lot of guys who who tested pretty well overall, uh, but came up short, particularly in the short shuttle, but also in the in the three cone drill. Uh, is that something that that you've seen over time that is not always consistent with the other uh, with the other areas, or any any idea why that might be? You know, it's actually fairly common to see that guys that run really well and put up good explosion numbers, but they struggle when they get to the shuttle and the cone drill because it's it's one thing to go really fast in a, in a straight line. But once you start doing the short shuttle and you have to stop and change direction or the cone where you have to both change direction and bend around an edge, that really does separate the types of athletes that people are. And you start to see the difference between the straight line athletes and the great overall athletes. Uh, that said, it did seem really low this year for agility drills. You're not the first to mention that. I've done, I think, seven podcasts since the combine, and it's been mentioned on every single one of them that the agility drills seemed low this year. Um, I don't know that it's particularly lower than every year, but it. I think that the big thing is we've had so many guys with good explosion drills and good speed and then have poor agility. Um, part of it could be, too, that you know DK Metcalf got just absolutely roasted last season because of his agility drills, and a lot of players might just be avoiding them. Yeah, I, I did notice that 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 was uh, it was definitely a, a blank uh, a blank on, on a lot of them. So uh, we'll have to see you know as things go forward, and you know reason to to follow uh, follow Kent and, and keep checking out his website as we get through pro days. We'll we'll get updated numbers and we'll get um, you know we'll be able to plug in some of these things. Uh, there are a number of, of prospects who didn't do anything at the combine, uh, such as Joe Burrow, uh, and, you know, others who didn't do enough to, to qualify for, for a RAS score. So, uh, definitely something to look for, uh, you know, in the future and, and see if they do do those things and, and, you know, what the kind of difference that might make. Um, now I've actually listened to, a, I was listening to a podcast earlier today. Um, and I believe it was Bucky Brooks. Uh, and, and he talked about, you give you give the prospect the benefit of the doubt, uh, and, and their way of evaluating players was, you know, if he runs a bad forty at the combine, then he runs a good forty as pro day. You give them the best score. Uh, is that how you look at that uh, for for this model as well? I don't see. I I use a, a hierarchy model, so I, I use the combine day the combine scores first. Then, if somehow the player runs an additional combine, because there's regional combines, there are other combines. They're not as as well publicized, not as public. Um, but if they do one of those, they get that score. I actually don't even have any that have both. But if it did happen, I would have it covered. Um, and then I go on to the pro days, and then I actually also get metrics from agents, from players themselves, from other sources. Uh, but generally, it goes combine and then pro day. So if they have a combine score, I'll use that. If they have a pro day score, I'll use that um, after the combine. Uh, and then uh, if they have no combine score and they have a pro day, then I'll just use the pro day. Um, I do have the ability to look at both, which I have done from time to time. There's a there's a pretty close margin of error for most metrics that that I keep on the back end, so I can tell if it's a, a significantly different score. Um, mm. For instance, a 40 time. If a guy runs a 40 time and it's .07 better than what he ran at his combine, that doesn't mean anything to me. To, to me, that doesn't tell me that he improved anything. That's about the standard difference for a player that runs from his combine and then runs at his pro day. Um, so I don't really pay too much attention to those. Now, if a guy runs a, a four six, for instance, and then he goes to his pro day and he runs a four four, 
you know, that's point two. That's a huge difference. That's a pretty significant difference. And that's how you separate guys like Joe Hayden, who had a, a, a statistically very poor combine and then had a great pro day. Uh, Xavier Howard's a more recent example out of my uh, place for Miami. He had a really poor combine and then he went to his pro day and he showed out, you know, it's, you can't ignore when a guy goes to his pro day and does better. Uh, at the same time, you don't want to give them too much of the benefit of the doubt. Players will always run better at their pro day, or at least you'd expect they run better at their pro day. Um, but it, it's just a matter of knowing how, what that difference looks like. I got you. Yeah, and, and, and that makes sense to me, too. I, I think you're at the combine, there is a, a level of, I don't know if standardness is a word, uh, but, you know, yeah. like, you know everybody's – situation is the same you know uh yeah. obviously outside of their their health and travel and things like that uh but you know everybody's running the same track you know it's the same equipment uh you know it's the same day and basic time uh as as everybody else in their position group so um so you know i i could definitely see where that's going to give you generally the the best number for comparative reasons uh you know to make it you know scientifically relevant um so moving on to the linebacker position, that's uh, a big time need for the Bengals and has been honestly for a while. Um, I think a lot of a lot of Bengals fans would love to get a linebacker at 33. There's a pair of guys who may or may not make it that fo- far, uh, and that's Kenneth Murray and Patrick Queen. Um, you know, they they definitely seem to be the the consensus. Uh, two and three uh, after Isaiah Simmons, who is definitely uh, definitely not going to uh, to make it to the Bengals uh, in the second round. So, uh, can you talk a little bit about these two and and what uh, you know what's the difference between them athletically? Yeah, and they both unfortunately got hurt at the combine. Both of those guys got injured when they ran their second forty time. Uh, Kenneth Murray went down, had to be helped off the field. Uh, Patrick Queen also went down, had to be helped off. Um, but they both ran really good 40 times anyway. Uh, Kenneth Murray finished with a 4.52. It looked like he pulled up early on his first 40 and could have done better. That's probably why mm-hmm. he ran his second one. Uh, I don't think that he really needed to. Uh, Isaiah Simmons didn't bother to run his. He ran a 4.39, so he wasn't going to run a second one. Um, Patrick Queen ran a 4.5 flat, and he tried to run another one, also got hurt. They both had really good uh, explosion scores, and since they got hurt, they didn't finish the agility. So their cards ended up fairly similar. Uh, Kenneth Murray ended up with a 9.94 out of 10, and Patrick Queen ended with an 8.14 out of 10. And what really hurt Patrick Queen is that he's very small for a linebacker. He's only six foot and a quarter and 229 pounds, whereas Kenneth Murray is six two and a half and 241 pounds. So Murray is significantly larger uh, while running a, a similar time in the 40 and actually had better explosion drills despite being significantly larger. Um, I, I think Kenneth Murray might have done enough prior to the combine where he did well that he could have jumped into that first round discussion. Getting hurt kind of throws a wrench into it. We haven't really seen what either of the injury status of these two guys is, but that's definitely something to monitor. Yeah, and, and obviously it doesn't hurt them too much because those are very, very big pro days that everybody will be attending, and we'll probably see those on ESPN anyway. But now Kenneth Murray is a guy I 
I watch these two, and I, and I give a little bit of an advantage to Queen uh, based on the things he does on film. But I feel like Murray has a ton of potential uh, with some of the things you see him do athletically. I like that he's a little bit longer. Uh, and, you know, unfortunately, um, my issue with Murray is that it seems like he gets juked a little bit. Uh, so I would have... I would have loved to see the short shuttle and the three cone yeah. uh, as kind of a barometer of if he's getting juked because of his eyes or if he's getting juked because he, he, he can run fast, but he can't change directions. Uh, so that would definitely be an interesting one to, to see moving forward. Um, now, so because everything is, is compared and relative to, to, uh, to size, uh, as you said, that's kind of what threw off queen. Now is, uh, is height or are height and weight uh, considered relative to each other? Uh, so, you know, the fact that he is, uh, 12 pounds lighter than Murray, you know, is it, is that less impacted because he's about two inches shorter or, or is that not a, not a factor? They're considered separately. So this, the scores are compared against the position group for that particular metric. So the weight okay. is compared to all linebackers who have a weight and then height is compared to all linebackers that have a height. Okay. I got you. Um, now, there's a couple of other linebackers. This was a, a, a class uh, of linebackers who a lot of people a lot of people were down in this class of linebackers. Uh, it was kind of before people started to really notice Patrick Queen um, and some other guys had dropped out of, of, of the draft. Um, and I look at it, though, and I think there, there is some interesting depth. Uh, and there, there are some guys who... I wasn't so sure about athletically who, who definitely stepped up and, and uh, did some really interesting things. Uh, and that's uh, Wyoming's Logan Wilson and Willie Gay Jr. out of Mississippi State. Now, Willie Gay Jr. has, uh, uh, has some off-the-field issues uh, <laughs> that will need to be heavily examined by, by a team taking him. But uh, I don't know the guy personally, and I'm not interviewing him or, uh, or his coaches or his teammates or anything like that. So... Personally, I like to stay out of that because I wasn't there. Um, but what can you say about these uh, these two guys uh, athletically and how they compare to, to some of the guys at the top of the draft? Yeah, athletically, they both did really well. Logan Wilson ended up with a 9.01 out of 10, and Willie Gay had a 9.7 out of 10. Uh, what's important to note with Willie Gay's athletic profile is that he didn't have a very good size grade. Uh, it ended up good because he's 243 pounds, but he's fairly short at only 6'1". Uh, but his speed, he, he ran a 4.46 in the 40-yard dash, which for a linebacker that's 240 pounds, that's going to get you noticed. Uh, so the first thing you check after you know if he's fast is if he's explosive. Willie Garrett had a 39.5-inch vert and an 11-foot 4-inch broad jump, one of the best broad jumps I've ever recorded for a linebacker. So I think he checked that box uh, a little bit. It's it's pretty well checked. Um yeah, I don't have any concerns with his explosion is what I'm getting to. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that's what you want out of a linebacker. You know, they've, yeah, they've got exactly. to, he's got to be able to read, uh, but once he reads, he's got to go. And he's got to yeah. be able to fill downhill or he's got to be able to turn uh, and, and drop into coverage, find a tight end, find another receiver, you know, things along those lines. And, um, you know, honestly, it, it was kind of funny to me because – I, I liked a lot of what he did on tape. I wasn't sure. Maybe I was just watching the wrong games and I wasn't seeing him move, uh, you know, a, a far enough distance to, to tell how fast he was. But um, I was really pleasantly surprised. And, and, and again, um, 
you got to figure out why he punched his teammate. Uh, <laughs> if that's a concern for you. Uh, but I mean, athletically, this is a guy who's very interesting. Uh, obviously we know that, um, years ago, the Bengals got a very, very good linebacker. Uh, I, I believe, geez, I'm now I'm, I'm going to embarrass myself, but, uh, I believe as a, as a, a rookie free agent, uh, because of some uh, some personality issues, and, and that's, of course, Vontez Perfect. Ask me um, about his score. <laughs> what's that? Ask me about his score. Oh, I, I, you got it on you? <laughs> oh, yeah. So Vontez Perfect, I just, I just love this story because it's hilarious. Yeah. But Vontez Perfect had one of the worst combines ever, and that's not just the metrics. He bombed the interview portion. He, he had issues with his medicals. I believe he popped positive for a drug test. And he didn't prepare for any of the drills, not a one. It, it looked like he had never run a 40-yard dash before. So this is a Pro Bowl linebacker who played for you guys. So this is definitely an athletic outlier from a score perspective. Uh, he scored a 0.2 out of 10 wow. in 2012. Zero if we were to measure that all the time. out of 10. It does hey, jump. If you put him and Willie Gay together, they'd almost have a 10. <laughs> right? <laughs> you wouldn't have any quarterbacks left, but. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no kidding. Wow. That, yeah, that is, uh, that is pretty ridiculous. You know, and I, but I think it, with guys that are attitude issues, mm -hmm. um, it, it shows, you know, like he puts in some effort and he can do some things. Obviously, he didn't put any effort into that. Um, that certainly wouldn't make you think he was going to be as successful in the NFL as, as, as he has been, uh, as he was for a number of years there, but, Explain um, where his draft status landed though. Yeah. Well, it, it, cer it certainly did. So, uh, yeah, geez, I don't, I, I had no idea that, that uh, about that. That's, that's pretty funny. I always love bringing um, up those ones. They're, they're always fun. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the, you know, the Bengals in the past have been, um, open to, to guys who have had some issues um, and it'll be interesting to see because because who knows if that was a Marvin Lewis thing, you know, if, if he thought he could handle guys or, or what the deal was. Uh, but I guess I guess we're going to find out, uh, you know, uh, but he could definitely be an interesting one. And um, the testing will certainly help his stock. But because of those other issues, uh, maybe he's a day three guy, you know, um, you know, maybe he gets into the third round. But um, he's, you know, he's a guy that's, uh, that's got some really interesting tape and some really interesting tools physically, uh, as you see in his, in his RAS score, uh, that they, they could potentially get a steal on. Um, so that brings us to safety. You know, there's really four big names at the safety position, uh, and, uh, Delprit, uh, and Ashton Davis did not test. Uh, so we're going to have to wait and figure out what their numbers are when they get to their pro days. Uh, the other uh, big one, the guy who's really become safety number one for most people right now, uh, Xavier McKinney. Uh, and the guy who is my safety number one, uh, and obviously because of uh, uh, his father being a, being a Buckeye, is, a, is somebody that's well-known in Ohio, uh, Antoine Winfield Jr. Uh, Winfield is a guy that, a lot of people didn't think he was fast on tape, uh, and he definitely uh, turned some heads at the combine. McKinney, like I said, was at the top uh, of a lot of draft boards at the safety position, 
and, and and didn't look so good at the combine. So can you talk a little bit uh, about about those two and, and uh, you know what how you think uh, draft boards might shuffle out uh, after after the combine? Yeah, Xavier McKinney didn't measure anywhere near, I think, what anybody expected. And, and Antoine Winfield also didn't measure where anybody expected, but in different directions. Uh, McKinney ended up with a 7.33 out of 10. So don't think this is saying that he's a bad athlete by any stretch. Uh, but it definitely wasn't nearly as athletic as people were expecting from watching him on tape. And if you had told most people a month ago that he would have a much worse athletic profile than Antoine Winfield, you'd have been laughed at for straight. You know, Antoine Winfield walked in with speed concerns and explosiveness concerns. And he walked out with a 4.45 40-yard dash, which is great for a safety. And both of his explosion drills were good, which nobody predicted. Or they were lying. I'm not quite sure. Um, <laughs> but the biggest issue with Antoine Winfield isn't going to be his athleticism. He's now checked that box. He's done. He, he had an issue with that. He proved it's not an issue. Uh, the big issue with him is still going to be his medicals and whether or not his, the issues that he's had in college are going to be something that will plague him in the pros. We didn't get any information on that at the Combine. Uh, it's going to be something to pay attention to in the draft process. Uh, I, he, he has, like you mentioned, he has fantastic tape. It, you can't watch his tape and think that he's a bad prospect by any stretch of the imagination. He has awesome tape. He's a playmaker. He flies all over the field. The, the speed concerns, I think, were a little bit overblown, but they were definitely there. But he has great tape. And yeah, what I really like about him too box. is I, I think he's one of the more multiple safeties in the draft. Um, you know, like people talk about McKinney in that way because they moved him around quite a bit. Uh, you know, uh, Winfield is a, a lot of people, you know, would call him a free safety. Uh, he's a good deep field player. Uh, obviously, you know, a ton of interceptions, make plays in the pass game. But I like that he's a guy that can do all that. Who you see come down and rock into the box, and and he's a he's a good tackler. Like he can he can play well in the box as well. And you really you don't find a lot of guys who who can who can kind of do both. Uh, it seems like in the NFL. So I, I yeah I uh, really appreciate that about him. And and he is uh, by the way coming in uh, with a with a RAS score of uh, eight point seven one, despite his height uh, score of zero point four five at just over five nine. So. Uh, uh, you know, uh, that's one of those things that, eh, who knows how much it really cares, but he's definitely <laughs> on the on the bottom end in one area. Yeah, and his arm length doesn't help me either. His arms were just barely over 30 inches. So there, there are some teams that probably aren't going to consider him draftable at all because of his size and his length. Yeah. Uh, in, you know, so it would be, be interesting, though, you know, like, like you said, he, he disproved some of the things that people were, were talking about with him, uh, but certainly some other concerns there. Uh, now, a couple of other guys who have uh, been talked about a little bit in the draft prospect, I believe both were at the Senior Bowl, um, come from non-BCS schools. Well, I'm trying really hard to not say they're small school guys because I hate it when people say small school. Uh, they're, definitely, about... they're definitely colleges. They're, they're places people go for higher education. That's true. That's true. And, you know, you know, I, I think I have, a, I have a hard time uh, referring to a guy in the Mac uh, as being small school and then also referring to a guy uh, at, you know, at, at D2 and D3 as being small school. So there's just such a wide, uh, you know, they're not, these guys aren't quite Ben Barch small school, but, uh, you know, not your powerhouses. Uh, Jeremy Chin and uh, out, out of the uh, he's a Southern Illinois Saluki. Yeah. Uh, and Kyle Duggar from Lenore Ryan. I have no idea what their mascot is, but I'll just show uh, off my Saluki the Bears? knowledge. 
Probably the Bears. That's I, a pretty good no, guess. I have no idea. Right. I, I think if it's not the Bears, the Wildcats, or, or the Tigers, you know, it's, right? it's got to be one of those, right? <laughs> one of those. But, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking it up now, as we talk. I'm now, Shin out. in particular came in with a ridiculous uh, Raz score, uh, 9.99. Kyle Duggar, not far behind him. Uh, can you talk a little bit about these two? Yes. It was the Bears, by the way. Oh, ah, look at that. The bear. um, so... We're, bonus we're good points team. for generic guesses. <laughs> uh, Jeremy Chin, like you mentioned, had a 9.99. Duggar had a 9.87. They're ridiculous athletes. Uh, they both came in with good size scores, great speed, great explosiveness. Both of them jumped over 41 inches and over 11 foot. It's nuts the kind of athleticism numbers that these guys put up. You wonder how they ended up at those schools with that kind of testing. Uh, or if they were just tiny and somehow put on all that weight, size, and athleticism over the past couple of seasons. Um, I think both of those guys were starting to get some day two talk uh, before the combine even happened. Um, I think that most people predicted that, predicted that they would do well at the combine. I don't think anybody predicted they would do that well. Um, and they both did amazing at the combine. Uh, we could be looking at two of the highest drafted players from their respective schools. I think it's pretty safe to say that that's the case. I haven't looked up Southern Illinois or Lenoir Ryan and seen if they had any highly drafted players, uh, but I'm guessing these guys are going to go higher than those guys did. Yeah, Southern Illinois might have had somebody sneak into into the top three rounds. I, I you know, off the top of my head, uh, I, I can't put. Man, I feel like I feel like they had a transfer running back. Like, like, oh man, I'm, I'm blank. This, this is going to bug me, but, um, uh, but, but yeah, I mean. Ridiculous scores. Duggar was getting uh, a lot of buzz at the Senior Bowl, I know, and and you know Chin definitely has uh, has his supporters too. But yeah, I mean, you look at these Raz school uh, Raz scores, and it is it is green. You know, basically across the board, Duggar's uh, just over six foot, so he's a he's a little uh, you know a little bit undersized there. Uh, not a problem with Jeremy Chin, who's coming in at six three two twenty one. So um, some interesting guys, you know, and some guys are yeah definitely. Maybe a maybe a third round possibility for the for where the Bengals are at. Uh, you know, maybe they slip into the fourth. But some interesting guys and, and definitely some versatile players. Um, so that gets us, you know, over to the other side of the ball. Um, Denzel Mims has had a following for a little while, uh, yeah. and he was a guy I think was pretty popular for people. Uh, certainly for me uh, to, <laughs> to, to uh, put in mock drafts somewhere in the middle. Uh, and man, did he impress and he is flying up boards. And now he is in the conversation as a first round pick. Uh, so ridiculous, but I think that, that Mims's performance has somewhat overshadowed a couple of other guys who, who also did great. Uh, Michael Pittman, uh, it was another very, you know, very popular guy uh, in the in the mock draft community um, from USC. And one guy who I don't think people are talking about nearly enough is Donovan Peoples Jones out of Michigan, uh, and and he put up some some pretty good numbers as well. Uh, can you, uh, you know, this, uh, I'm, I'm asking you three questions at once, but <laughs> can you can you talk a little bit uh, about uh, that that trio and and how they might fit into a very talented wide receiver group? Absolutely. And you mentioned this this wide receiver group is really good. And what what doesn't get talked about enough, I think, is that a lot of the guys at the top 
didn't really perform all that well at the combine. They did well in the drills, um, but the, the metrics themselves, they didn't. We didn't get an elite score out of Jerry Judy. Um, we didn't get one from C.D. Lamb. They ended up in the sevens. You know, that's that's not what people expected. People expected elite scores from those guys. So yeah, you have somebody I, I, like, I, like they're even saying Judy like could could slip now. I mean, yeah. I, I don't think anybody's going crazy and saying he's he's going to round two, but uh, but yeah, they're you know they're they're saying he could he could slip down in the first round a little bit as a result. Yeah, and then you have a guy like Denzel Mims, who, as you mentioned, people have been talking about him for a little while. You know, he's a contested catch guy. He's one of those possession receivers. So when yep. he comes to the combine and he runs a four three eight, suddenly you're thinking to yourself. Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. That ain't what I expected. His great jumps, that's that's nothing. We expected that. You know, you don't want to count things twice. We expected him to have great explosive scores. He had great explosive scores. 38 and a half inch vert, almost an eleven foot broad. That's what you'd expect from a guy with his kind of tape. But a four three eight, nobody expected that. And they definitely didn't expect that six 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 cone time. I mean, I don't think anybody was expecting to do that. You know, you look at his score and you're like, what the heck happened on his shuttle? He's got ninety a ninety-fifth percentile cone drill and then a nineteenth percentile shuttle drill. Something happened. I don't know if he fell both times, um, but he definitely wasn't prepared for the shuttle drill one way or the other. Uh, Michael Pittman Jr. out of, out of, out of the uh, USC, he also had a really good score, nine point four two out of ten. He's got great size at six four two twenty three. Ran a four five two, which is fantastic for his size. Uh, in this day and age, we tend to think that four or five guys are slow. They're not. Don't convince yourself of that. <laughs> four or five is a perfectly acceptable time. Um, he put up good explosion drills, good agility drills, good general overall good athlete. Doesn't have a whole lot of athletic flaws. And when you consider him as a for his size type of athlete, it looks even better. Um, you mentioned Donovan Peoples-Jones. Donovan, Donovan Peoples-Jones was one of the most uh, highly touted wide receiver prospects coming out of high school. Uh, he was a big get by Michigan when he came there. Um, no one expected him to measure poorly. He ended up walking out of the combine with a 9.83. Uh, he might have been disappointed with himself in his his vertical and his broad, which was a 44-and-a-half-inch vert <laughs> and an 11-foot-7-inch broad, and he looked disappointed. So think about that. Yeah, <laughs> no is, kidding. This is he, an explosive dude. He, that, that's a funny thing because I, I try look, – look, I think numbers are important. I think I think all these measurements are important. Uh, you know, obviously I brought you on, on here for a reason. But um, when I'm watching film, I try to avoid as much of that as possible. Um, and, and to me, it's, it's a way of avoiding double counting it. You know what I mean? I, right. I don't want to I, I don't want to say – you know, look at a film and write on film, hey, this guy's really big, you know, or, or make judgments on him based on his, his size. Uh, Peoples Jones, um, you know, his height was just good. He's mm-hmm. uh, six one and a half. And I was, like I said, when I'm watching film, I don't look at their height and their weight and or think about them with their 40, you know, like I was shocked because the way this guy goes up and gets the ball, you know, like – you know, like I felt like he was like a six three guy, uh, because the way you know he can do that, and make those contested catches. Um, so, yeah, I mean that that forty four point five shows shows up, and you know definitely something that negates any issue you might have with him being uh, under six <laughs> two. Yeah, and it's not just his height. You know, you mentioned he's not as tall as you'd think, but it, it looks like he's way taller on tape. You know, and that comes from being as explosive he is. He's able to go up and get anything, but he's also got 33 and a half inch arms and 10 and a quarter or almost 10 and a quarter inch hands. You know, 33 and a half inch arms is almost as long as Jonah Williams's arms. 
Yeah. And this is this is a receiver who's six one two twelve. He's got long long reach, a great wingspan, and he's explosive as all get. His catch radius is huge. Uh, the biggest issue with Donovan People Jones has just been how consistent he is. He can make those highlight reel catches, but whether or not he can make those ro- routine ones, that's what's going to be really, really criticized on his tape. Uh, and I expect it to be a big talking point once the draft actually comes around. Yeah, definitely, really, uh, really interesting guy. And um, you know, there's we talked about uh, uh, you know, Gay is a guy that you got to figure out what his personality is. Um, you know, there's some interesting. Guys in here, uh, like uh, Michael Pittman, I believe, has a YouTube page with his girlfriend that's pretty popular. Uh, <laughs> it, like, like he just seems like kind of a kind of a kind of a cool, chill guy. Uh, you know, uh, Mims is a guy. Uh, Mims and um, uh, and uh, Peoples Jones really, you know, coming from you know NFL caliber coaches. You know, with uh, mm-hmm. Harbaugh being there in the past and and Rule being there now. So uh, it, I think this is a really interesting trio, and I, I think. Uh, Mims might have tested himself out of the range that a lot of people were hoping to get him as a steal in, uh, but maybe Pittman and, and Peoples uh, Jones might be the the kind of replacement, the next guy that you're like, okay, well, if I need a guy in the third and the fourth, something like that, uh, you know, I think either one of those guys could end up being a, a real steal for somebody in the draft. Yeah, I was talking over with a friend of mine, and I said, he, he, we were talking about that, what was that, like 27 different receivers that were expected to go in the first two days of the draft. Some some ridiculous number. Uh, but we went over our notes together. I think we came up with 14 different guys that we thought would have a 1,000-yard seasons either in their first or second or third year. So even if they didn't work out long-term, they'd at least get that if they landed in the right spot. And that's that's bonkers numbers. You don't see that from any draft class. This receivers class is fantastic from top to bottom, and you're going to find guys in almost every round that that hit in the NFL. Yeah, I think that's why you know the Bengals are in an interesting position here, where uh, AJ Green's going to get franchised. They're not going to trade him. They're going to franchise him. He's going to be in the, on the roster next year, um, and so, but that's one year, you know, and then that's up. Uh, don't know what's going on with the CBA, but either either way, uh, it seems unlikely that the Bengals will pick up the fifth-year option for John Ross. So, you know, that group, when healthy, is a really good group of receivers, uh, you know, along with Tyler Boyd but not, and, and Auden Tate, and there are some other guys as well. But, um, but now the Bengals are looking at a real turning point at that position. Uh, you know, is – is AJ Green going to be somebody they're going to give a long-term contract to? Uh, and will John Ross be back? Uh, you know, how much money does he got? Why is that, that going to be, you know, something that makes sense. So, you know, this is a great opportunity, even though it's not necessarily a need immediately. Uh, you know, if those guys can stay healthy, uh, it's a very interesting situation for the Bengals to, to get one, maybe even two guys just because of the depth of this class. Cause I really look at it and I think, you know, I think there's going to be tremendous talent on day two uh, where if you're truly drafting best available, you're probably getting one on day two. Um, but I think there's going to be some really good ones at the beginning of day three too, that have a lot of potential. So um, it be interesting to see, you know, how that, how that works out and where people come in on these guys. Oh, absolutely. This, this draft, I, I've been doing this, like I mentioned for, for eight years 
And I haven't had a single combine that I've I've enjoyed more than this one. There's so many different guys that that improved their stock of the combine that did better than were expected. This is one of the best drafts that I've ever covered. It's easily the most exciting, the most fun that I've had doing a draft. So I, I'm super stoked for the for the draft this year. Um, everything looks like it's going to be one of the most exciting ones ever. Well, you know, the, the Bengals are, are hoping not to disappoint, you know, with the number one pick, hoping Joe Burrow is everything that's advertised. So, uh, hey, I wanted to come back to this. So I, you may have noticed on the tip of my tongue, I was like r- r- about the guy from uh, – uh, the guy from Southern Illinois, yeah. right? And I and I didn't do it because I knew what I was going to say was wrong. I was thinking Ronnie Brown. Uh, but the reason oh, I man. was thinking Ronnie Brown was uh, the actual guy was Brandon Jacobs. The Brandon Jacobs. Oh, yeah. He was, in, he was at Auburn with Cadillac Williams and Ronnie Brown, so he transferred out uh, and obviously went on to, uh, you know, some success with the Giants. Uh, but he was a fourth round pick. He was the 110th pick overall. So I think Chin's got a got a good shot at beating that. <laughs> yeah, easily. I think. I don't think that's going to be much much of a challenge at all. All right. So um, now, in your uh, on your Facebook, uh, excuse me, Facebook. How old are we? Uh, on your <laughs> Twitter uh, profile, I thought I thought it was interesting. You you call yourself a math junkie. And it also says you can't measure heart. Now that is an interesting uh, <laughs> contrast of statements. Uh, as as somebody who has, um, from time to time, uh, pointed out things that aren't related to math that have uh, that have uh, aggravated people that are really really into analytics. Um, <laughs> which, by the way, like like I said, I I'm, I got you on the show. I'm 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 definitely I see the value in analytics, but uh, some people don't always see the value uh, in things other than analytics. Uh, so how do you, uh, how do you balance, uh, you know, some of the things that they can't be measured uh, with, with all of these metrics? Yeah. The actual quote, you can't measure heart is a bit tongue in cheek because that's, that's usually where a conversation will end when I'm, when I'm talking about metrics with someone who has, has a player that they really love that measures poorly and they, they really want to argue that they're going to do well. And my argument isn't about whether they're not they're going to. The argument is about whether or not it's likely that they're going to based on you know historical trends. It's all math when I'm talking about that stuff. But they love their players so much. It's their guy. They want him to do well. And it always ends that you can't measure heart. Um, <laughs> because there's just no way to you can't you can't counter that with anything. Um, but for me, I've, I've mentioned it before that whenever you're looking at a player and you're looking at their metrics, it's only a piece of the puzzle. You, there's so many other things that have to be considered. And it's not just tape. Anybody can watch tape and, and fall in love with a guy or evaluate a guy correctly or incorrectly that they're going to be good. Uh, but you want to know whether a player is, is medically sound to come into the NFL and play. It's a high contact sport. The, the best predictor of future injury is past injury. So if a player is coming into the league with injury injury issues already, there's a pretty good chance that they're going to have injury issues continuing and going forward. So, you, you know, that's one thing you have to consider when you're looking at these players. And the other thing is, is character. You know, a lot of these guys will come in and they're the best player on their football field. You know, we mentioned the two small school guys. They probably have never faced an athlete of the level that they're going to be facing when they get to the NFL, not one time in their whole college career, because they've only placed the smaller, the smaller school guys. Now you don't like the term smaller school, but uh, the, the, the level of competition isn't that high. And that isn't a knock on those guys specifically, but they're just dealing with guys that they've never faced before. 
you know, how much frustration is there when you're used to being the big man on campus, the big dude on the field, the fastest guy, and then you're going against guys who are just as fast, just as big, just as strong. You know, that's that's a type of mental uh, uh, stamina that, that we don't really get a chance to gauge. There's no easy way to look at that and figure out how these guys are going to compete. You know, we've seen plenty of guys come into the NFL where they get there and it's just too much for them. So you want to pay attention to that character stuff, too. Most fans, we don't have access to that. We don't get to interview these guys. We don't get to go out there and see, you know, what the type of hours that they're putting in, the work that they're putting in. Uh, but I'm going to give you an example of what I mean. Uh, Jeff Okuda is considered the top cornerback in this draft class. There's a couple people that, that people have other p- players, but generally he's a consensus top top corner. Uh, he put up a really good score. It was like a 9-5 or something like that, really good score for his athleticism. Um, but one of the things that, that really impressed me about Jeff Okuda wasn't that, even though I love my numbers and I love my metrics. Uh, it wasn't that. What impressed me was people were asking him about different teams, different NFL teams, and he was telling them about the scheme that they run. He was telling them about the position coaches that he would be working with. He was telling them about the other players on that roster that he would be working with and what his responsibility would be in association with those guys. That level of preparation, that level of research – that's the kind of stuff that you really want to pay attention to because that's not just a guy that's a great athlete. That's a guy that's a great student of the game who pays attention to everything, who, who know, goes out there not just thinking, I want to be the best guy out here, but he's looking at every team in the NFL that wants to have him, and he's saying, how can I help that team? How can I make them better? Because they're going to ask me, and I need to know how to answer it. Those are the type of things that you want to look for for these guys. The athletic testing and stuff, it's big. It's important. You don't want to lose sight of it. But there's so many other pieces of the puzzle that are important that you can't just have that. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think, like you said, there's so many pieces to it. You know, the, there's a guy that – how do you win? You know, you can win as a technician. You know, you can you can win on effort if you're at a minimal level of some other things. Um you know, and, and there's a, a place for, for film uh, in your evaluation. There's a place for, for looking at uh, the combine, the numbers they're putting up. Um, and, you know, it requires, I believe, a lot of context. Uh, but, you know, statistically, you know, the, you know certain stats can be, uh, you know, can have a place as well. So um, I think, yeah, I, I, and I, I kind of said that, uh, you know, made that reference to your profile jokingly because I think a lot of people – we get caught up in one area uh, and, 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 you know, I kind of laugh because uh, I, I was just, I was just talking about how sometimes people that are really into analytics, like will, will get after me on, on, on Twitter about something. Uh, but I've had the same thing happen with, you know, with old school film guys too. Yeah. Uh, when I start talking about numbers, so, you know, it's like, no, we, we all, we all have to look at everything. We have to, we have to kind of meet in the middle. And, um, and, and personally, I, I'm a film guy because that's, that's what I know how to do. Uh, so that's why, that's why I bring people like you to talk to that can, you know, they can educate me and, and, uh, help me to, uh, you know, get to the bottom of some of these, of these things. Now we were talking about small school guys and, you know, as I said, you know, you're the, you're you're the math bomb. You're the you're the expert in this area. Uh, Jeremy Chin, with a relative athletic score of nine point nine nine. Again, I'm no expert, but I don't think many many safeties in this class uh, outperformed him at the combine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, 
you know, to be fair, I, Isaiah Simmons would have had a better score at safety, <laughs> but he also would have had a better score at free safety, strong safety, corner, linebacker, and I forget, there was a fifth one. I forget what the fifth one is. Unbelievable. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I mean, and again, I say that kind of jokingly, but um, but I, I do think that this is really big for players like that because oh, yeah. although Chin wasn't dealing with Henry Ruggs and and uh, and you know the, and the likes every day, um, it shows you that at, at least athletically, uh, you should be able to match up as well as any other safety in this draft, um, and and you know it, not quite as high in the scores, but. Uh, you know, Duggar obviously the same thing with a with a nine eight seven. Um, that if those guys don't make it in the NFL, it wasn't because they can't run and jump high. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not not for lack of ta- of athletic talent. Yeah. So um, you know, and and again, that's the thing. And this isn't specifically about those two, but you go back and you look at the film and you see what they're doing and. And, you know, are they just the best athlete on the field and, and they're just dominating everybody because of that? Uh, or, you know, are they technicians? You know, do they have the skill or are they making the reads as well? Uh, so I think when you're looking at, you know, the quote unquote smaller school guys, I think it's it's important to have that context and and understand, you know, where all these guys are coming from and to try and you know be able to project that uh, to, you know, to make an apples to apples comparison to, to people that are uh, coming out of the SEC. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's what separates guys, right? Yep, absolutely. So, um, well, uh, you know what? We, we actually uh, got through these guys pretty quickly. Uh, did you have any other uh, big takeaways from the combine? I know you said you're very excited about this, uh, uh, this draft season and this draft class. Uh, anything else that really stuck out to you? Yeah, you mentioned that, the, that there weren't a lot of guys that measured too well for the explo- for the uh, agility drills, but I, I know the, the Bengals have, have traditionally favored big athletes, guys that score well athletically. Uh, this is a great class for athletes. So it, it, one of the things that I expect the Bengals to do based on their recent history is to look at those guys and to weigh that. Um, they've done really well with drafting big-time athletes that tend to, to end up doing well, not, not just in the first round, but in their mid-rounds. You know, Geno Atkins wasn't a slouch when it came to athleticism. He was in the nines. And whether or not his size hurt him, they didn't care. They knew that he was a great athlete and they could do something with him. So uh, a lot of teams are going to be looking specifically for the big athletes. Most teams do that. Uh, The Bengals have had a tendency to to pay attention to that more more than other teams. Uh, Maybe not as much as the Packers. They're kind of stupid about it. They they only draft good athletes. but the, the Bengals have been really big on it, and I, I think that that continues this year, and it's a fantastic year to need that. Geno Atkins is a really interesting uh, person for you to, to reference. Um, you know, he was, a, he was the fourth-round pick, 120th overall for the Bengals, and one of the big things with him um, is, was his production. Uh, he had uh, uh, seven-and-a-half sacks, in his uh, sophomore year, um, but in, in his last two years, he only had three sacks. You know, so I, I think that's something where some I've I've heard the uh, the argument. Well, if a guy's not a ten sack guy in college, you know, why should I think he's going to be one in the NFL? Um, so I mean, that just goes to show you that uh, he wasn't 
you know, he didn't have that that sack production uh, at the college level. And obviously he gets to the NFL and, and, and was one of the uh, best interior pass rushers in the league, um, which I think he can kind of project that also to to this past season. I think a lot of people think that Gino has taken a step back. Uh, and if you look at if you're looking at sack numbers, he has. Uh, but if you watch the film, he was the best player in the defense, you know. So, uh, and he was a one-man run-stopping machine last year too. So, um, you know, those, uh, you know, that, I think that's a, a way that that having these measurements can interact with um, with the stats, with the film, kind of give you a, a whole a whole picture of what the guy is uh, and what he's capable of being. Um, and you know, when you're seeing when you're not seeing what you want to see on film, you're not seeing uh, the production you want to see, um, you know, it, is is this guy capable of it? Is there a reason? Obviously, Gino was. Absolutely. All right. So uh, we mentioned a couple things at the beginning, but uh, is there any uh, anything else you would like to, to plug any anywhere that they can follow your work? Yeah, you already mentioned that I write for Pride of Detroit, so if you want any Detroit Lions news or you just want to go over there and talk some smack, we're, we're totally down for that. Um, you can do that over at Pride of Detroit. Uh, my own site is relativeathleticscores.com. You can go there to view any of these player cards. Um, they're already up, and I'll be posting them throughout the season. You can actually download the RAS application um, starting for, for this year's class. You'll have to wait at least until tomorrow night to be able to download it. It'll include this class. But then I'll be updating it every week after that. So you can download it yourself and look at whatever cards that you want to. Uh, if you didn't want to do it on the site, you can experiment and change positions on guys and all that fun stuff. Um, I've been writing for uh, Pro Football Network. I wrote a nice article on uh, AJ Epinesa. I think it's a nice article. I wrote it, so it sounds good to me. <laughs> Um, I'll be doing a couple more for them over the course of the season. So you can find some of my work there. Um, and just keep an eye out for, for Raz. You can find it on the, uh, the hashtag hashtag RAS on Twitter. If you're looking for anything, uh, for a specific player, if you just want to follow my timeline, I'm extremely busy during the draft season. Uh, I'm available for questions at any point in time. You can send them to me over Twitter or get a hold of me on email, which is tagged in my profile. I think maybe it's on my website. Not sure. Um, but I'm, I'm very accessible during this time and I love talking about football and about metrics. So hit me up if you want and I'll give you whatever you need in terms of metrics and numbers. All right. Awesome. So yeah, great, great follow for all the metrics. Uh, you know, if you want to, if you're a diehard, uh, Braden, Braden crew, uh, Coombs or, uh, Kyle Kasky fan, so you're, you're, you're following them to Detroit. Uh, you know, uh, you know, good, good follow there as well. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so uh, make sure you're coming back here every week, too. We'll keep having great guests like this uh, throughout the offseason, you know, specifically, obviously, focused on the draft for the next few weeks uh, as, as things uh, start to heat up. Uh, but I am Matt Minnick, and this is Matt Minnick's Chalk Talk. Thank you for tuning in today, and you will find us right back here next week yeah we coming for what's ours yeah we coming for what's ours yeah we coming for what's ours you hear the crowd we coming for what's ours more to do's less time and an infinite number of tools to keep track of sometimes doing business has never felt harder 
But you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. 